0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tone Jay Review,
1: Subhuman Race by Skid Row. From a business standpoint, it's just idiotic that this band couldn't figure out a way to keep Sebastian Bach in the band.
0: It's interesting to see which direction they went. And to me, they went in a couple different directions.
1: This record really takes all that to the extreme.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Menichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason. Zack Jay. We are on episode 130. Our third season is uh, halfway through and we have a what I like to call uh, Jason's Metal Moment where once or twice a year you like to bust out a metal album for us from the 90s and uh, usually I am heartily impressed by your pick. Last year we did uh, Corrosion... Or we did a not crew. What was it last year? We did oh, Circus of Power and um, Life, Sex, and Death. And then on season one, it was Corrosion of Conformity and The Cult. Although well, I don't know if that's really a metal album, but Corrosion is. And uh, Jay, what do you bring into the table with to us uh, this time?
1: Well, <clears throat> when we got into doing this podcast, one of the things that occurred to me was that obviously there'd be a wealth of. Of bands that came about during this period that we could we would be talking about, but there were also some bands that sort of got you know sideswiped, let's say, uh, by this whole the whole '90s um, alternative music movement. And in some cases, some of those bands tried to sound like something they weren't, and some bands felt, I think, pushed to try some new things and go in some new directions. And some of them worked and some of them didn't. So I chose uh, this record, Subhuman Race,
0: because
1: I I wanted to see if this was sort of which of those two cases this was. Is this a band trying to be something they're not? Or is this a band that was legitimately sort of pushed further Um, and, and, you know, inspired even uh, what was going on musically and uh, became something better than what they previously had been. So I thought I'd throw that out there for conversation and see what you thought.
0: I like to call this um, universes colliding because, uh, you know, as as you know, I, I also do a power ballad podcast once a month. And it's correlating with the book that came out in April, Power Ballad, which is available at Amazon.com, both in paperback and uh, in the Kindle version. And uh, Skid Row is featured quite a bit in that book and maybe sometime in the future in the podcast. And uh, here we are on Dig Me Out. We're talking about Skid Row. So it's all things Skid Row in my universe at the moment. We should probably cover uh, the history of this band. History of the band. So Skid Row formed in Toms River, New Jersey in 1986 by Rachel Bolan on bass and Dave Sabo, better known as Snake, on guitar. They added Scotty Hill on guitar, Rob Afuso on drums, and Matt Fallon on vocals, but he was replaced by a guy named... Sab, S- S- Sabaston. Oh, Sebastian. Yes, Sebastian Bach. In 1987, first album, Skid Row, self-titled, came out in January of 1989. Everybody should probably know that one. Second album, Slave to the Grind, released June of 1991. Again, that's probably familiar to a lot of people. Then they took a little bit of a break, and four years to be exact. Third album, Subhuman Race, was released in March of 1995, and then the, brand, the band kind of imploded. Sebastian Bach left the band and was replaced by Johnny Solinger, and Phil Verone replaced Rob Afuso on drums, and they released their fourth album, Thick Skin, in August of 2003. Their fifth album, Revolutions Per Minute, was, replaced, was released in October of 2006, On that album, Verone was replaced by Dave Guerra. And then their sixth release, which is actually an EP, uh, United World Rebellion Chapter 1, was released just this April of 2013, featuring Rob Hammersmith on drums. That is the history of Skid Row. And then Sebastian Bach has some solo releases, and he was in uh, a band called The Last Hard Men with um, Jimmy Chamberlain of uh, Smashing Pumpkins for one song, basically. They did a, a song for some soundtrack. I can't remember what it was. The School's Out. Was it the Falco soundtrack, maybe? I don't remember. Yep. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. That's also the one where Alice in Chains... Well, it wasn't Alice in Chains. It was uh, Lane Staley and some other guys, and they covered um, Another Brick in the Wall. I don't remember what It was a bunch of, like... Bands being combined. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Who is that credited to? I thought that was credited to Alison Chains, It wasn't.
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. I that, that was something that. that, yeah, I should know that shame on me. Uh, like Jay and our previous commenters, if you want to suggest a band for review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Now we did get some Facebook feedback on this record people were uh, excited that we were going to review some skid row on <laughs> dig me out scott witt said such a great album baz's 15 second scream and beat yourself blind is epic tim james said didn't see this one coming steve helton said a pretty underrated album actually there were some good songs on there and eric grubb says don't remember any videos played from this record on regular mtv rotation i do remember a weekend rock segment where they went skiing with sebastian bach so, there you go. There's some Facebook feedback on Skid Row and the album Sub Human Race. So, Jay, since this is your pick, that means I'm going to go first. I know you're looking forward to this. See, now, usually when you bring oh, these see. albums to me, especially in the, in the metal category, I usually end up really liking them. It's when we get out of the metal category that sometimes I'm not a big fan uh, A.K.A. New York Loose. But <laughs> here's the thing. When I listen to this record, uh, I got to admit, I didn't realize it was Sebastian Bach singing because he sounds so different. What? From, yeah. To me, he sounds a huh. lot different than the first two records. Now, maybe that's because other than a couple of songs, I wasn't really the biggest Skid Row fan. They were the, like of those big... Pop metal, glam metal, whatever you want to call them, bands from the late 80s. They were one that I I knew the singles, you know, 18 in Life and I Remember You. But beyond that, I would have a hard time And and the power ballads that I researched, obviously, like In a Darkened Room and um, Quicksand Jesus. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know their music that well. So when I listened to this, I was like, is this the Johnny Solinger guy? Because it doesn't sound like Bach the way I'm used to hearing them on 18 in life. And, and I remember you, but then I read the credits and I was like, no, it actually is. So what's interesting is that the band takes a, uh, an interesting turn. And you mentioned in the, in the ramp up, how a lot of bands tried to change, you know, as the music landscape was changing in the mid nineties, you know, famously, uh, like warrant made an, basically a grunge album, which is, um, not successful to put mm-hmm. it mildly with ultraphobic. and a uh, faster pussycat went into like a Marilyn Manson kind of a industrial direction mm. also not terribly successful but then you did have bands like Bon Jovi which transitioned pretty smoothly by sort of softening their sound becoming more of like a straight-up rock in the Bruce Springsteen vein so I was, well, interested they did to-
1: the, uh, I was gonna say they did the keep the faith record around the time, which is probably their darkest record, you know, they came out of that and figured out, you know, within the next 10 years, like, Haley's just become a country-like band. Right. Uh, but, you know, they were, again, like Skid Row and all these other the bands you mentioned, they were challenged by this and kind of made a record that's maybe we'll revisit. It, some of our fans might revolt, but it's a pretty interesting Bon Jovi record.
0: So this is an interesting album because it's basically they're stepping away from the pop metal thing and it's interesting to see which direction they went and to me they went in a couple different directions most of which i like uh they kind of i would say move into a corrosion of conformity circus of power sort of blues metal sound that we heard on on the albums that we reviewed um and in the, the more mid-tempo so- songs and then they also go to i would say like a heavier Thrash metal uh, sound on songs like, um, actually, like Subhuman Race and Bonehead. Return to like that sort of anthrax, uh, second podcast in a row mentioning anthrax, uh, that sort of sound from the 80s. Um, and then there are, there are some slight nods to alternative rock of the 90s. And I'm thinking of like Frozen, which kind of has an Alice in Chains riff going on with that like be- big bend that he's doing is very Jerry Cantrell especially even now that's Gary Cantrell is still doing that like yeah. dro- drop tuning with a big bend and just sort of relying on that for his entire verses um, yeah. and they they for the most part they pull off all three of those elements the 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 mid-tempo sort of groove rock the thrashy up-tempo stuff and then the slower more alternative rock elements of, I'm thinking of like, like I said, frozen or, or a lean. mentioned Bach in terms of his uh, his vocal. Like to me, th- he he seems more restrained in the. He can get a little uh, too smart for his own good sometimes in his vocals in, or in his lyrics. Um, if you listen to some of the stuff on early albums, he tries to be like a bit of a storyteller on some songs. And I, on this one, he I, he becomes a little bit more of just a rock singer, and belting it out and. Mm. I like that from him. It's a little less personality and a little bit more delivering just the song, what the song needs. So it's not as showy, but it's really effective. Mm. And, you know, there, there there's really only like one or two kind of missteps. Um, I don't really care for the like, last one or two songs. But overall, this is a really strong record. And I see why a lot of people point this out as being sort of like the forgotten gem of Skid Row's career because it's, it's a basically from one to 10 or one to 11. This is like a incredibly solid record. It's just a straight up sort of hard rock metal album. Um, and I read where uh, Dave, the snake Sabo was actually on uh, that metal show and uh, Eddie Trunk could not stop talking about this album and how this album was overlooked and forgotten, and it sort of became like a running joke on the show. How he kept bringing up Subhuman yeah. Race. So, I, I'm th- this is for me this is another success in your attempts to uh, incorporate the metal into our alternative and indie rock uh, format. <laughs> so, what was it like to go back and uh, revisit this record?
1: This is a record that I had you know when it came out it was the time when you know I, I probably maybe i had a cd player i probably just got my first cd player car or cassette player but it was it was that time where and maybe some people still do this where you'd get a new cd or a new cassette and you'd leave it in your car for six months and listen to it you'd have like five in there you know what i mean it was like right you listen to those same five records for six months which now thinking back seems insane because now that I have you know an MP3 collection of fifty thousand songs or something in that range, like I rarely spend that much time with a record anymore, unless it's for the show. So I was very familiar with every aspect of this record um, from from then, but probably haven't listened to it in you know ten ten years or so. it's been, it's been quite a while. So I was curious to see, you know, does it hold up? Does it, how does it feel in regards to their overall catalog? Does it seem contrived? You know, does it Does it sound contemporary? All those things. Um, I think for the most part, it actually holds up better. It sounds better t- to me now than it even did then. It was, it was apparent to me that at the time, you know, they had just come off a tour with Pantera and mm-hmm. with Pantera opening for them, they kind of I think most people would say kind of broke Pantera in terms of huge, you know, you know, more of the mass appeal that Pantera ended up having in the sort of middle part of their career. Um, You know, I think a lot of people would attribute it to they opened for Skid Row for an entire tour uh, uh, for the slave to the grind tour. And in most cases, you know, I think they, and I saw them on that tour and they kind of, I'm not a big Pantera fan, but I could tell you that they, Kind of blew Skid Row off the stage in terms of you know the crowd being into it and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that experience. You can hear that on the record, I and mean, I could hear it at the time on the record. So I think there's a lot of attempts here to do a, a groove metal
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: kind of thing with some of the riffs um, in, the, in the vein of, that a Pantera would do. Um, you know, simple riffs that are based on you know a lockup of, of, of the guitar and the drums and, like, playing off a pitch band or, you know, a, a simple, like, kind of um, maybe a mute, some kind of, you know, simple technique to create a rhythm. There's a, lot of, a lot of riffs and songs that are kind of built around parts like that. And then, obviously, I think what you're getting at with the vocal, where, you know, he gets a lot more aggressive at times. He almost does, like, a kind of a guttural, you know, deep yeah kind of vocal. And then but I think what's cool now, you know, at the time I saw, I, I sort of, I think I, I enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, they're kind of trying to be like Pantera, I'm not really into Pantera, and I'm not sure if this is the right thing for them to be doing, you know, but now when I listen to it, the thing that I really enjoy is that it's a very cool blend of of that kind of attitude, and then the melodic sensibilities they always had, in the the one of the things I always liked about this band is I think I think the bass player writes a lot of the lyrics. And I think it's one of those situations where, you know, he might write a lot of words and a lot of phrases, and then Sebastian Bach kind of forces them into melodies and then the songs. And I think they've always been a band that, especially for the second the second record and this one on, where that's worked really well because he's really good at. Kind of turn those into, you know, kind of vocal riffs and very cool, like, I don't know, just almost just phrasing and um, kind of uh, rhythms and things with the vocal, but still maintaining melody. And this record really kind of takes all that to the extreme. I was, I was really, you know, I enjoyed it as much as I did then. I found myself really attracted to the songs like Fire Sign" and Eileen and Remains to be Seen, which that's a song now I want to listen to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, it's like an early Aerosmith song, but heavier. You know, if you listen to the rhythm, rhythms and that, there's some like, almost like funk, you know, bluesy kind of things going on, but it's done in a kind of a heavy way an aggressive way. And again, like Steven Tyler, the vocals kind of that almost spoken at times with a lot of words, but then, you know, kind of breaks into these, um, these, these, these screams or these big, you know, sort of vocal gymnastic, really expressive things. Um, frozen is one of the, you mentioned, it's one of the heavier songs on the record. There's a lot of heavier song heavy songs on the record, but it's one of uh, the ones that features kind of a riff that's, yeah, you're right. It's very, um, modern, Alice and Chain sounding with that pitch bend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then the verse is kind of different. And what's cool is that when they go back to that part for the chorus, it's kind of a slow Alice and Chain's riff, but it doesn't feel slow. They kind of do this cool thing where it's like a slow riff, but musically it's not slow over top. You know, it kind of keeps the tempo up. So there's a cool contrast there. And, and that's one of the songs where. It really hit me that, wow, this band is so stupid for not being together. (laughs) The standpoint, it's just idiotic that this band couldn't figure out a way to keep Sebastian Bach in the band because, frankly, you know, I've sampled some of the stuff with the other singer and it's not nearly as good. And, it, and it's not because the singer's not technically good, I think there was a chemistry here where mm-hmm. I feel like he pushed the band because he was so good and they pushed him because they were so good. And without that combination of things, it sounds like the newer stuff that they've done with the new singer, they just settle for being average. And you can tell on this record, like it just sounds like every part in every song, like they're constantly like there's a there's a drive there to make it better, to do more, you know what I mean, to to push it, to you know, it, it sounds very it doesn't sound contrived either. It sounds very inspired, I guess is the word I'm looking for in terms of You know, they saw something in Pantera they really liked and some of these other heavier bands like COC and some of the others that you mentioned that were, you know, finding their way in the 90s and they took inspiration of that and they, I think, made it their own. Another thing that I liked about this record were the songs Breaking Down and Eileen. What I liked about those is that they're known for the power ballads. You mentioned that. And Mm -hmm. the second record's got, while it's got some super heavy songs on it, just like this one does. It's also got two or three, like pretty much stereotypical by the book power ballads. Yeah. This record doesn't do that. Like, they're beyond that. Like, they knew by '95 when this came out, like, okay, we can't do the power ballad formula. You know, this is not going to work anymore. And they were hopefully inspired by other other things. So, the thing I like about those two songs is that they're they're able to figure out a way to do some material that's a little less, you know, in your face and loud. It's more laid back. It's a little bit, a little bit quieter, even though Eileen gets pretty, pretty loud, but you know, it has some sequences that are quieter. They're, they're able to pull off, I guess what the intent of a power ballad would be without following the power ballad quote unquote formula to the T hmm. Um, in some ways. I think it, for me, you know, as a, person that followed this band at least through these three records it was kind of re- refreshing i was kind of dreading going we'll get getting, getting thinking like oh boy is this going to have the obligatory you know three three power bells of them trying to rewrite i remember you or Quick Jesus' or whatever and they didn't do that and i really i really enjoyed that in fact breaking down features i, I think it's like a drum loop which for them was or at least it, it sounds like the intent of one like in the verses right which for yes. them i'm sure was a stretch to to try and do something like that you know but i think it works you know really well And it's one of those songs where you know at the time i didn't think much it, but now i listen to it and i was kind of i can kind of appreciate where they're coming from on it So, like I said, I, I was—I just kept thinking, like, this band is nuts for not for not being able to uh, be together. And I went to a little bit of Rock on the Range this year in Columbus, which is—it's kind of like the, I think, the de facto like generic heavy rock festival now in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see bands from. I, I think the thing that's cool about it, even though I don't like personally like probably eighty-five percent of the bands that were at the show. It is cool that we are now in, a I think, a time where you can have bands from now, bands from, like, the early 2000s, bands from the 90s, and bands from the 80s all playing a bill together, and the fans are completely fine with it. Like, they all, as long as they all put on a good performance, they all have a chance to win over the crowd. So I couldn't help but think... Like if they could that they could be very relevant in a con in that context now and it's it's kind of when i listen to this this music i'm like if they came out and played this record like a set of primarily this record with the four or five hits from the first two records people would go crazy mm-hmm. in a setting like that like it would go over so well i mean they would be they could headline it like Soundgarden garden and nelson chains headlined it this year People loved Alice in the Chains. Soundgarden didn't go over very great, very good. Like they were okay, but people weren't super impressed with Soundgarden. I think if Skid Row had their shit together, I think that they could pull off headlining at an event like that now. But for whatever reason, they can't, and it's it's, it's a shame because I don't know. I, I personally think, especially on this record, uh, and somewhat on the second record, you can hear. There's a unique chemistry here, and something special that happens with this combination of, of guys that I think they really push each other to create, you know, really heavy, um, heavy rock that still has a really great sense of, of of melody to it. So,
0: well, the the one name we haven't mentioned is that Bob Rock produced this album. It oh really? I didn't know yeah, that. and it doesn't sound like a Bob Rock album to me. But it when you good. think about it. It there are there are elements of, I guess you'd say, the his touch in Metallica, that this sort of reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you were to if if you were to chop off the first two records, and start with this album as a band in 1995, I think that this is on a total different trajectory than you know this is was sort of like their last gasp as a as a as an outfit but if they had started with this in 95 when this album came out this could have been the you know a a a situation like a caius where they became you know put out a couple records became legendary because this is so unlike like you mentioned you know it it, it's pantera-esque but it's also much different than pantera it's got elements of yeah. corrosion of conformity but it's still different from that um it could have it could have been, it could have been into a whole different thing and it sonically it stands up to what's going on today it's it's the very relevant sounding record the one thing i wanted to mention um which sort of bothered me a little bit but you you i think you put it in the right context you mentioned aerosmith when it comes to remains this to be seen I was getting like a little bit of like a Red Hot Chili Peppers element to that which I found mm. not necessarily as pleasant. It was fine. I don't think it wrecks the song, but I was like, hmm. Is this some trying to do that like that Red Hot Minute Dave Navarro era of you know, of the Chili Peppers or you know, what's what exactly is going on with this song? But I think when you mentioned the the Aerosmith end of it that sort of made more sense to me. Than than them trying to do Chili Pepper song, so
1: <laughs> I mean it could have been either way. It, it came across to me now as is a heavier, <laughs> with influence, which you don't hear a lot. Like, I don't have to get off topic here, but we haven't brought. We've used a lot of bands repeatedly on this podcast to, to try to like describe what somebody sounds like. We haven't never we haven't used Aerosmith very often. <laughs> No, and for them being such a huge band, you would think that that would happen more often than it does, but it, it doesn't. Uh, they sort of have a very unique sound in terms of what's going on rhythmically with that band, and I think that's what I was, um, you know, that's what I was hearing with that tune. So I, I think in terms of uh, you know it, it was it was tough for bands like this. You know, they they always mean they were able to maintain a level of credibility, uh, a higher credibility than most of their um peers um, almost to the level of a of a guns and roses through the whole you know transition from 80s to 90s Mm -hmm. i think what this record did unfortunately was it alienated all their female fans you know so to be a band to be a huge band i mean one of the the business secrets is you know to truly break through and be a huge, huge band that can fill arenas you have to appeal to women Yes. Uh, you have to have at least, you know, a good portion, if not half or more of your fan base be women. Uh, that's that's the key. All you youngsters and bands, uh, you're looking for the magic formula.
0: Listen, there it is. That's it. Um, Chick's got to dig you know, The
1: first record does, the second record kind of does, and this one doesn't at all.
0: No. And.
1: I think to gain, you know, to maintain credibility, they went in a direction. It's probably genuinely where they wanted to go. Unfortunately, it did not appeal to women, and I'm sure it did not sell well. And you know, from a tour standpoint, they were fighting a lot of other things, and this record didn't help bring people to the shows. I'm sure, so
0: including themselves, I could see were, how. Yeah,
1: it could be a nail. On it. I don't think that they broke up right after this. I think they actually tried to stay together for a while after this, but I don't think this record did a whole lot to boost their confidence at the time. It's just a shame because now when you listen back to it, you're like, I could plug a ton of songs off this record and put them on modern rock radio and no way wouldn't. I mean, they would be fit right in and some of them would probably do really well.
0: Yeah. So it's just it's kind, kind of crazy a shame that this record old it, it's weird when you think about like uh you know you throw on Sirius and you put on like was like octane or faction those stations that play like modern metal yeah this could mm. easily slide into those channels like half the songs in mm. this record um, so for your overall rating I'm gonna take a wild stab and say that you're at a worthy album
1: yeah oh, I'm there there's there's not a uh... There's not much on this record I don't like.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm at a word the album too. I mean, it's just it's so solid all the way through. There's just not a uh, other than getting a little lost towards the very end. It's just it's so tasty. All those riffs and all the the interplay between, like you said, the guitars and the drums just works so well um, on so many of the of the, especially for me, the mid-tempo tracks. It's just, it's one of those records where you can just put it on, and you're not going to hit a clunker halfway through. And, and it's really nice to hear that, even though it's 13 songs, it's, it's pretty damn good for 13 songs. And
1: uh, I mean, vocally too, it's uh it's pretty amazing in terms of the range that you hear on this record. I mean, he goes from the the lowest growl to the highest wail,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, uh, sometimes within the same songs. So, though I don't know, man. I come from a generation that. Uh, you know that, that moves me you know hearing a person able to do that and doing it with true emotion I, you know i love that you know I, I love other kinds of singers too but that's one type of singer that just right you don't hear it all the time you know there's not very many people that can do that so kind of cool
0: all right well if you have an album you would like us to check out head on over to our website digmeoutpodcast.com and go to our request a review page you can uh, request an album for us to review. Maybe we will review that Bon Jovi album if you request it. Who knows? Uh, we're up. We are uh, expanding our horizons into uh, uncharted territory. So it's not. Our only all...
1: is is the '90s and rock. I mean, yeah, that's really it. So
0: yeah, that's it. So head on over to our and no uh, hit singles. Yeah, don't be no uh, no Pearl Jam. No, uh, no, no, notorious Big.
1: As long as we didn't have a hit single, we're good.
0: Yeah, we don't want any success. Leave your success at home.
1: Basically, yeah, we're just sabotaging
0: ourselves. Yes. Uh, head on over to iTunes page. Leave us some positive feedback. We'd appreciate it. Polish our uh, or uh, help to pick up our uh, our rating on that particular website. And uh, that's it for Jay. I am Tim and we are out. Come back next week for another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.